Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, the Star Trek podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. This is episode 91. I am Derek, your regular host, and I have with me two of our longtime recurring hosts who are here to celebrate Star Trek Picard with me today, Ray. Sup, dudes? And Zach. Hey. And uh, we are here, of course, to discuss the two-part season one finale of Star Trek Picard, Et in Arcadia Ego, as well as the season as a whole. Uh, Sorry for some breaks in our schedule with uh, stay-at-home orders and the pandemic and complicated job situations. Uh, I'm also pregnant and constantly sick, so... There's there's that, there's that. Yeah. Uh, and Greg is, is very, very busy with, with his job. Um, and so things are just a little hectic right now. And this was the soonest we could get together to record without technical issues. Cause we've had those, we've had those as well. Um, yes. you know, because, uh, we're using, uh, different software now we're trying to see each other so we can make this as personable as we can. And, you know, you know how it is, but we still want to bring you the show. So, uh, we've got a little bit of news, a little bit of housekeeping, and then we'll dive into the main topic. So housekeeping first, just to get stuff out of the way, we are officially going to move to a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, we used to be weekly, and I know we would miss weeks from time to time, and that was you know, due uh, in part to a lot of our complicated schedules. But we want to keep the show moving forward as consistently as possible. So after this week, we will then be every other week right? So, uh, you know, this episode is going to come out on Tuesday, April 7th, and the next one would be Tuesday, April 21st, and then May 5th, okay? So that's going to be our schedule moving forward, at least for the time being. Uh, We're working on some topics and and things like that for what we're going to cover. We've got some fun ideas. If you have any ideas or anything like that, please make sure to join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups, slash red shirts and runabouts it's the word and um we're we're doing lots of fun stuff in there in fact uh you know two days before this episode comes out we uh did a first contact day party where we uh like live talk the movie while we watch it from our own individual homes and hopefully that went well or goes well um and all that good stuff 
All right. So news, let's, let's talk news. So the only piece of news I really have right now is that they have released, uh, uh, on Friday, April 3rd, a full season one soundtrack to Star Trek Picard. It is digital only, it appears. Um, and it is 55 tracks taking over th- uh, two and a half hours of content, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, it includes Blue Skies. It includes, you know, of course, the, uh, the title song, um, as well as a lot of other really cool content. Um, even includes uh, tracks from the Children of Mars Short Treks episode, which is pretty cool. Um, there are some... Um, spoilery titles in in these tracks if you're you know giving it to somebody who hasn't seen the show or anything like that Uh, but it is available now Uh, for example on amazon music it is nine dollars and 49 cents usd which is a pretty great price um it appears at the cd of star trek picard uh, season one chapter one which uh, had 20 28 tracks on it is no longer up, uh, at least not on Amazon anymore, I'm assuming because they've prioritized shipping essential items. Uh, So you might have a hard time finding a physical version of this, but it is digital. It's available on uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, and a few other services, uh, which is pretty cool. And the Blue Skies rendition uh, that's on there is the one that is performed by Issa Briones, who plays uh, Dodge and Soji. Um, so that's really cool. Hers is really wonderful. At a minimum, you should check out that track. She does a really fantastic job. Uh, and that's, that's all I've got for news. You guys have any comments about the soundtrack or anything that you want to throw out no. there? I bought no. her version of blue skies as soon as the episode was over. Cause it was released like right then and there on that Thursday. So fair enough. That's it. Yeah. Just commentary about my life (laughs) cool 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 all right well then i think what we'll do is we will begin talking about the show so this is your spoiler alert uh spoiler warning black alert uh, what have you about star trek picard all of season one everything is on the table here for season one if it happened uh if it was theorized we might be talking about it so that's that's your warning um all right, guys. So the part, the two-part finale, obviously, we've watched all of it at this point. Um, I think it, there's just not really a, a great place to just start and kick things off. Does anybody have a particular emphasis that they want to focus on in the beginning of this conversation? Well, you know, we spend most of our time critiquing things and pointing out loopholes and stuff like that. So maybe we should start with what our favorite parts were parts that we really enjoyed. I like that idea. So let's, let's do that. Zach, what was your favorite part? Favorite part of the two part finale, man, it's honestly, it's a tie between uh, Riker showing up and uh, the data farewell. Yeah, the Riker bit is uh, pretty cool. Um, he looks awesome. It's great seeing him just back in form like he hasn't missed a beat. Yeah. Uh, proof that he could easily be a regular on a show like this and not have any problem. Definitely. Um, and it's kind of funny how well they guessed what he would be like in All Good Things. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. He's not, he's not as bitter 
right? Because he doesn't have no. the feud, feud with Worf or anything like that. But he still has that gravitas, that intensity, and just just command, you yeah. know, of the situation, which was cool. Well, and uh, what I loved about that whole that whole bit with him showing up is that you know we'd already seen him, you know, as a retired family man hanging out with his family, making pizza in the, in the woods. Like we we've already seen that. Uh, and so, and that was great. I love that. But so to see him, like you said, back in action, true to form, very much in charge was, it was a pleasant surprise. It was, it was cool to see that aspect of his character was still around, I guess. Ray, what about you? Well, uh, Riker and Data were clearly high up there, but I think it stands out to me when uh, Seven of Nine killed Nerissa. Oh, when yeah. their fight was just a lot of fun and when she just kicks her, like Spartan kicks her right off of the edge in the board cube. I ended up like squealing and grabbing onto Derek's arm and I think I like cut him with my nails. I was so excited. <laughs> Like, I hated the Narissa character for so long. I thought she was just awful as a villain, as a character. And, uh, of course, she killed my beloved Hugh, who I've been attached to for years now. (laughs) And uh, Seven just did, like, a great job of standing up and taking charge. Yeah, uh, it was a decent fight scene, you know, because you know, Romulans have superior strength to humans, but because she's an XB, she has superior strength to humans as well. So she could actually, you know, keep in the fight, which I thought was cool. Um, it was a good match. It was. Yeah, it was a good match. Uh, it was totally a Spartan kick, though. It was pretty. It cool. was. It was. It was. Um, so my, my favorite moment, as good as the Riker one is, uh, definitely has to be the the simulation between Picard and data Um, just them talking back and forth, seeing that that conversation was really fantastic. Um, You know, a lot of people had problems with the way nemesis, the way nemesis was the way it handled all of its characters, the way data died. And, you know, not that nemesis is a perfect film by any stretch of the imaginations, but the way data was handled never really bothered me. I felt that, it was true to his character. I felt like it was a good conclusion to his arc that, you know, he always wanted to strive to be more human and what's more human than sacrificing yourself for somebody you love. Right. So that always worked for me, but having this opportunity for the two of them to really say goodbye to each other and to show that there's no reason for Picard to feel guilty was really fantastic. Because I think we would all feel guilty if somebody sacrificed themselves for us. But if that person was the same type of person you would have done the same thing for, you know, then if you would not regret sacrificing yourself for them, why would they regret it for you? Is That's the whole point, right? right. That's, that's what Data says. And it's a really powerful scene. It's incredibly beautifully done. It's beautifully written and delivered by two fantastic actors. Uh, Data looks basically perfect. Um, I'm not sure if it's because they had some more time to work on the post uh, special effects versus like in the initial scenes in the, in the season, but he looked great. He looked exactly the way I would think he should look at this point. Yeah. Um, And it was just a cool concept. And the idea that 
he doesn't want to live forever. He never did. I mean, early on in TNG, he mentioned that, you know, he theoretically doesn't have an expiration date and, you know, that's not a great thing for him. And this was a great conclusion to that. Yeah. I I like the, the emphasis on, um, you know, life and love and friendship and all these things have more meaning um, because they're impermanent because they don't last forever. Um, And data wanted that, piece of the human experience uh, and that was really beautiful and backing up to what you, the point you were making about um you know feeling guilty about someone sacrificing themselves for you but you know if they are as you are then you know you would do the same too um and and it was especially cathartic for i think for picard because he's been very tormented by that for years now and he didn't just come to this logical conclusion that, oh yeah, I mean, I I would have done the same for him, so it's fine. He got to hear it straight from Data saying, hey, like, you don't feel bad about what you did, so why would I feel bad about what I did? That was cool. Ray, any thoughts? Uh, I completely agree. It was very emotional. It was the only time throughout the whole series that I ended up tearing up because just seeing those two actors again work off each other and Picard being able to admit that he has a deep love for all these people is very important. He has tried his best to, of course, show everybody that he cares for them, but to never actually say those words and cross that line because in the end he does know that they are you know employees of his to a certain degree so saying that he loves them does I guess cross a line for him so he ended up saying it to Rafi he ended up saying it to Data and it was very important and I am looking forward to how that changes his character going forward yeah, because I mean, he doesn't have the excuse of the uniform anymore with this crew. Mm-hmm. This 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 uh, this collection of of personalities. Um, because you know, yeah, he maybe he's in charge or whatever, but they're not Starfleet. They don't actually have ranks or anything like that. You know, it's Rios's ship, and Picard's kind of taken the lead on that, even at the end. Uh, but the regulations and the rules that that's theirs to to determine. Um, and having him say that, that he loves Rafi was a pretty big moment when that comes up. Uh, it's very significant. And it's, it's almost overshadowed by this scene with Data, um, which is kind of a shame. But Right, because he does say it to Rafi first. He does. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, seeing Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner play these two characters off each other is a really big deal. And we got it earlier in the season, but it was always these dream sequences. It wasn't, it wasn't real. It was always fantastical in some way or whatever. And this wasn't like that. You know, this was a legitimate conversation Two people like in this living room. Um, And the way it ends when Picard is basically giving a eulogy, you know, uh, to Jurati and Soong, and they're just kind of going through that process and they're shutting Data down. There's some cool little Easter eggs in there. You know, Data is basically dressed the way he is when we first meet him in All Good Things in like mm-hmm. the really plush robe and like a professor kind of look. And uh, Picard is in his old TNG era uniform um, and is basically the father figure at this yeah. point in data's life. And he, he even the simulation even has him age out and he gets the gray, even though in, in all good things, it was fake, of course. Um, 
but it's just this really powerful emotional scene watching data complete that journey that he started you know 33 years ago yeah how do you guys personally feel as a long-term trek fans that brent spiner will never play data again i don't expect him to ever play data again yeah Uh, but the same would have been said two years ago. I never would have expected him to play data again. Um, yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, there's always, look, there's always loopholes in science fiction. You know, he can continue to play Alton Soong. He could play, you know, uh, Lore. Lore. <laughs> like a lot of people are upset that the, the show didn't say, like didn't address Lore. But I mean, Lore, Lore was, was taken into custody and dismantled. He's in a drawer somewhere like B4 is. Um, but they could always bring that back. There could be another synthetic that was designed to look like, you know, Soong and Data. Um, you know, there's there's other ways that Brent Spiner can come back. But I don't know why you would bring Data back at this point. I was skeptical about bringing him back anyway, and was happy when it was just dream sequences. Yeah. Um, you know, that's fair. And the simulation scene that they came up with is beyond anything I ever considered and was beautifully done and and fantastic. I don't know how you top that. I don't know why you would risk topping that at this point. No, it's not Uh, worth it. Because, you know, Nemesis was controversial. So, okay, you want to try and make people happier. I understand that. I I don't know. I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about this end to data. Uh, People who like the show or don't like the show, I haven't heard anything negative about this aspect of the show. And, um, you know, quit while you're ahead. And if you were able to, to have a good ending for the character, let that be. And if you want soon to return and Brent Spiner wants to return, great. Yeah. I assume we haven't seen the last of Brent Spiner in Star Trek, but, um, yeah, to bring data back at this point would just cheapen this beautiful ending that we got. I agree. I didn't know if you guys were, um, at any point like grieving, that character yeah maybe maybe a little bit this whole season really i mean because this is such a personal story and and it's largely from captain picard's you know uh, point of view so you really you grieve along with him and um i mean i rewatched a few episodes and i rewatched nemesis before picard started uh so it was fresh uh and yeah like grieving but i mean it was it was a beautiful beautiful and sad moment so that's fair. Yeah, I mean, basically he was able to to end things on his terms, to end things with his father figure, and Picard was able to rectify all of the guilt that he had about the initial situation. So, I mean, I just think it was brilliantly done, brilliantly handled and performed and um you know, sure, I'll I'd love to see Spiner in some role in star trek and he's played several over the years uh but i think data being done is fine i think that you know what was there an opportunity to go the the star trek online or comic book route and have him back as normal data running you know a starship yeah i mean that was an option uh but i don't know that that's the best storytelling i don't know that that's the best for those characters as yeah. a I feel like there's this huge trend in 
uh, media lately, franchises in particular, where we just ignore the stuff that we don't like. And as fans, you know, we get to do that. We get to say, oh, that was so bad, I don't count it. But as creators, I always feel that it's slightly irresponsible and, you know, it cheapens it to a certain degree. Uh, ignoring all the different Halloweens just so you can make your story work is sure you, you turned out a, a good movie, but now what? You know, you're going to do the exact same thing for your your sequel sequel. So I, I'm glad that even though Nemesis wasn't the high they could have gone out on, it wasn't ignored. Yeah, I mean, Star Trek fans would have not uh, uh, appreciated that no matter what. <laughs> We're all of it. That's the, that's the canon argument. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. And, you know, conversations can really end up in the ditch when you talk about canon. But there's a point to canon. Canon is not, at least for me, is not intended to be shackles. It's not meant to imprison a franchise. But it is meant to help the fans of it and the creators of it understand what is not what could be, but what is, what has happened because otherwise everything can just get very sloppy and convoluted and even confusing and contradictory. Um, Star Trek forever has said if it was on screen, then it counted. That was the quote real deal. If it was a TV episode, if it was a movie and even for a long time, the animated series did not count. It does now, which is good. Uh, helps it be consistent, but you have had dozens and dozens of, of authors over hundreds of novels and countless comic book series over the last five decades. And to be able to write new stories that doesn't contradict every single one of those is a very difficult concept. It's part of why Disney decided to, you know, make all the books quote legends, they're mythos, you know, they're the stories you tell around a campfire. They're not historical accounts. I thought that was smart because it gives you some freedom. Now that's why people got frustrated with discovery at times, because it's a prequel show that's trying to do things in a very tight time frame where we know what happened around it. Yeah. But then you do a show like Picard and you have an opportunity to look at nemesis and say, okay, what did people like? What didn't they like? Where did we go wrong? What did we do well? And continue from there without pretending it never existed. I think that that, that shows a level of integrity that the franchise has, I've always been proud of. You know, the shows, the shows aren't perfect. 
they they change things from time to time things get convoluted sometimes it's rights issues um sometimes it's because there's almost 800 hours of content that you have to memorize to to not uh contradict something but they try i agree i think that's a nice point um so so those are some of the positive things i think there's some other really positive stuff on there too um you know, we talked about Riker a little bit. Uh, it was great to see him back. Um, you know, I thought the the Commodore O storyline was very interesting because we don't get a lot of her and maybe the show could have used more of her to give us some more depth of her character. But there's a tiny little nugget that's thrown in there in that uh, her parents uh, were um, supporters of Spock's unification effort. And... Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool throwback to TNG, uh, the unification two-parter, because she is half Romulan and half Vulcan. And that's a really interesting concept because, you know, the Romulans and Vulcans have really not been friendly over the history that we've known in Star Trek. And to see her as kind of a result of those two societies working together, her parents being from the opposite societies, is a cool cool thing to throw in there that also helps explain how she ended up in Starfleet in charge of security because she did have, you know, Romulan back or excuse, excuse me, Vulcan background. Mm -hmm. She, she was Vulcan. Um, And so there was, it was even easier for her to, uh, to kind of be treacherous and uh, treacherous in that standpoint. Uh, I thought she was a cool villain because she was very calculated and, and intelligent and not like flashy and over the top. Uh, she straight up reminded me of the TOS era villains. Like she was very similar the way she conducted herself, like Christopher Lloyd's Klingon did. And it, I, I liked it. I thought it was a fun throwback. You know, she was uh, calculating and meticulous. And then at, in the end, in the finale, she is full on like, torpedoes evil and i loved it well and her uniform is great like it's very romulan it's got yes. the big sh- the big shoulders and everything but it's obviously a more updated sophisticated look with a modern budget but it's still very romulan and mm-hmm. um it's little easter eggs like that little little not easter eggs but little references that show that the people who are making this show know their shit they know what they're mm-hmm. doing um and she just looked the part. She looked the part. She, she really had a a strong presence having her and Riker opposite each other was, was great. I mean, his little speech about about kicking her Talshiar ass um, was like the most Riker moment that I've seen from him in a long, long time. Yeah. I remembered why as a child I had such a crush on Riker. I was like, (laughs) Oh, that's it. Right. Like, you know, I, Picard has always been my role model, but I feel like in that universe, I would be more like Riker than Picard probably um, in that moment. Cause you know, like he's got this massive fleet of these incredible starships and he's pissed off, you know, and um, you know, he's had dealings with Tal Shiar and he doesn't like them at, at all. And it was just great. It was a good, good climax. I was a little sad i guess that deanna wasn't standing right next to him it would have been fun to see her in uniform too as his like number one but i get it it's just they make such a great team 
yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I think she, she, you know, she stayed home with their child who sure. they're very no, protective of. And In story, it makes sense. What I'm asking for is straight up fan service. So <laughs> I get why they didn't do it. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so let's uh, other positive uh, positive aspects to kind of focus on here. Um, you know, the orchids were beautiful. Yes, they're a weird weapon, but they were pretty. <laughs> it was a cool idea. I mean, Star Trek has had like biological ships and devices uh, multiple times throughout history. You know, Voyager, of course, had Species Eight Four Seven Two. You had the Tin Man in TNG and and, and others. And so seeing this was a, a nice next step of that it was super cool and it does go into what i was going to say which is the show just looks really good at this point you know um all the special effects were really solid the costuming was great the the starship design was clean it was just very high quality by this point in the season and um you know i appreciated that it definitely looked good it did agreed what are some other positives that you guys would like to focus on? I want to point out that at episode four, I was considering not watching the series anymore because I was bored. I didn't think that the storylines were making sense. It, it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was. But every episode since then has kept me more and more involved i think it just escalated in storytelling in character development in just holding my interest so um i i was ready to give up on the show at one point and i'm glad i stuck with it yeah uh also the cast uh the quality of acting uh isa briones briones am i saying that right yes Um, she, she was phenomenal. And I mean, I have a feeling that this is going to really, I I would be surprised if I didn't start seeing her more things like the, the depth and range of acting ability that she was able to display playing multiple characters on the show, uh, was, was fantastic. Uh, of course, uh, Alison Pill is always a a delight, regardless of how I feel about the characters and some of their arcs. I love the actors. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And, and, I, and again, like speaking of range and depth, like uh, Santiago Cabrera um, getting to play different um, holographic versions of himself was a lot of fun. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more of that, but that was great. He and Michelle so Hurd. He is good. Oh, yeah. Michelle Hurd. Fantastic. Having gone through what she has gone through, like the character of Rafi is so interesting. And I just love that her, her growth is impeccable. You know, I would love to see in the second season a second chance for her to repair her relationship with her son because I just feel like she's come leaps and bounds. So maybe her son will try to get like see that. Yeah. Well, if if you remove the the characters we already knew, like Picard and so forth, she she gets the most background and development. Mm Mm-hmm. She has yeah. the most depth for her character. She has the most complex uh, personality and story. Um, it definitely doesn't. The most flawed. She's definitely the most flawed, and it's she's also. But at the same time, she's incredibly intelligent, very talented, and good at what she yes. does, um, yeah. and is able to to push through these these negative things to still kind of come through when she's needed. And um, 
if anything at all, it just makes me a little bummed that we're never going to get to see her in her prime as the first officer on this flagship under Picard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in uniform. Maybe in more flashbacks, but. Maybe. You know, and I won't complain, uh, you know, if that, if they do that. Uh, but that's the, that's the main, my main takeaway from uh, this show is that just, I want to see these characters in, in their real element. I want to see Rios in Starfleet and see what that was like for him. Yeah. You know, um, same. And I want to see what Seven was up to during those 15 years and see her life as a ranger. And Give me that series. Right? I like, would definitely watch that because, to, to be honest, I don't think they did justice describing what the rangers do. It sounded like they were just kind of their own little group of vigilantes. And I would love to see that explored more. Yeah, I, mean, I think they could definitely do a show called Star Trek Frontier and have oh. her, her be the lead. Yeah, that would be right. great. But having uh, yeah. her on Picard's ship would be a lot of fun too, having her be a series regular there. So yeah. I'm not upset either way they go with Seven. Agreed. No, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it's, just, it's just an interesting thing because it just these characters, you learn about their backgrounds and then that's what I want to see. I yeah. want more of that. Um, you know, because Rafi and, and Rios were in Starfleet for a long time. You know, they were senior officers on starships. That's not something that happens quickly unless you're in the 2009 Star Trek film. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I want to see what that was like for them. And look, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for the Starfleet stuff, those ships, those uniforms, those missions. You know, that's what I've, I've been in love with for my whole life. And so I want to see more of that. And I'm not sure where Picard is going to take these characters, but the yeah. cast just like Zach, like you said, one of the, the things that this shares with discovery is the cast themselves are just so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, when, uh, what's his name? Evan, I'm looking at it now, Evan Evagoria, mm-hmm. Elnor. Um, he was also fantastic and we didn't see much of him, but what I really appreciated about his portrayal is that there was just such a, a unique innocence and naivete i mean he's a trained assassin like he could you know we see him slice someone's head off and yet he still has this innocence about him and and this like he's very wide-eyed and bushy-tailed as he's out exploring the universe and there's a lot that just doesn't make sense to him um you reminded uh, me of a more gentle drax yeah yeah that's a good way that's to put it that's interesting it's also um not at all the same but vaguely data-esque in that each of the shows have a character it seems like who are for one reason or other detached from um, everyone else's understanding and so we get kind of a a unique perspective in that Um, and in this show it's it's, I mean it's not the synthetic or the android in in this show it's it's this kid who was kind of raised by you know warrior nuns uh, that is now seeing a lot of things for the first time I mean even when they get to, um, I can't remember the name, what it's called now, but they're, they're getting all the advertisements. Oh, free cloud. Uh, free cloud. Yeah. Uh, and, and he gets no advertisements. He's like, where's mine? It's like, but he was such an anomaly. He was off the grid. Like, how, how do you market to that? Like, you don't know what this guy wants. Like, how do I market him a, a, a sword or, you know, <laughs> something to sharpen his weapons with? That's fair. Yeah, there's probably he was- not a lot of data on him because of where he lived. Right. That's a good point. That was a good point. Um, I appreciated the way that they, they displayed some of these characters and the way that they managed to say a lot about all these different people without um, pulling in a relatively short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, then we have Narek, who we haven't really touched on at all yet. Um, who now we're tiptoeing into complaints. Hate that guy too. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then let's talk about so. We'll talk about Soji then, because we'll take a break before we do our talk about some more of the critical stuff. Um, so Soji Isa Brionis, she um, she's very good. Uh, another good actor in this show because she's had to play at least three versions of herself. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, you know, Sutra was not my favorite version. I think I, I think Daj was my favorite uh, version of of the characters. But so Soji was really interesting. Her character was very complicated, right? Because she ends up with all of this crazy knowledge that she knows she knows, but she doesn't know why she knows it or how she knows it, and she has to kind of grapple with that, and ends up kind of being the the pinnacle for the the climax events of of the show. Um, and it all comes down to whether or not she really trusts Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting that that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day. It's not really an ethical conversation or a moral conversation. It's really, does she trust Picard? Yeah. I, I am very happy. That's what it came down to because I thought they were going to lean into the whole Narek tried to kill her, but he's really in love with her. So, you know, we're going to go with the guy aspect on, on this story. And God, I, I was just so proud when she was like, no, you disgust me. And she walks away from him and she's not going to go back to such a terrible relationship. I, I really thought they were going to lean into that because love solves all. No. So I, I was very happy that it was more of a father daughter trust and not a, you know, toxic boyfriend trust. Yeah. Star Trek has a history of not being particularly kind uh, as it as it comes to love, people who are in love are rarely rewarded for it in Star Trek. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that that's fairly accurate. I, I thought that that wasn't the case for Riker and Troy, and then we find out, of course, that their their son dies of an easily curable disease that they can't get a cure for because basically racism. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know, if you go back, every everybody else's stories are pretty sad when it comes to love, even if it's platonic love, it's still sad. Um, yeah. You know, with the exception of, I guess, Tom and Balana. Yeah. I guess they worked out, you know, theirs works out pretty well uh, until you get to the books. If you want to yeah. count, count the beta no, can. Nobody in deep space nine works out. Okay. Not really. Um, you know, not so- even in real life. <laughs> yeah. God. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Nana. <laughs> wah, wah. Um, so one thing I want to point out, um, you know, that's just a factual thing real quick. So a lot of people want to know what happened to Narek at the end of the episode. Cause he just kind of isn't there anymore. Um, Michael Shaban I want said, to know this. <laughs> so Mike, Michael Shaban said that it was actually un- an, an unfortunate consequence of editing, editing the episode down. And he was actually supposed to have been taken into custody by Starfleet. So he was yeah. arrested and he's in Starfleet custody, at least as far as we know, at the end of the show. What happens to him later, he's, you know, Siobhan's not telling anything, but that's where he is at the end of the season. Well, it's, maybe yeah. in the first episode of season two, they'll, they'll show him in custody and he'll have like a Loki in prison scene. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that'll wrap it up. I don't believe he was that important that we needed to know exactly where he went, but the fact that he was at the bombing and then gone seemed 
like you said, an unfortunate editing issue. Yeah, it was never meant to be like, Siobhan just basically wanted people to know, I'm paraphrasing that, you know, it wasn't meant to be a mystery or a lo- or like, you know, a, a, a hint at a future thing or anything like that. It was just, it was left on the editing floor. He's arrested. So Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with that. All right. So let's take a short break here. And when we come back, we'll start being a little more critical about the things that happened in the finale um, and then at the end of our episode, we'll kind of wrap up our thoughts for, uh, for the season. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main, think... what's the main planet that Endor, the forest moon of Endor? It's a moon. So it's, there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Kaiju Curry House. Because I'm just wondering, are Pokemon Kaiju? They are pocket monsters. They are pocket monsters, Paul. They're, pocket, they're monsters, yeah, aren't they? They're, they're um, just, so... They are yokai, officially. <laughs> yokai. Yeah, so, um. What's like... a yokai? Screen Heroes. <laughs> if the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover where Airbud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> That's it's Airbud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One on one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And oh, Squirrel Girl wins. <laughs> Subscribe today at HeroesPodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and we're back. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about some of the things we're maybe a little more critical about. Um, I think there's kind of a wide range of things um, from the just little simple details to maybe more complicated character stuff. And since we were just talking about him, I think maybe we should just continue that conversation, which is the Narek conversation. Yeah. Ray, well, that- you, you seem to feel pretty strongly. Narek is a, just a big old bag of convenience in my opinion, as far as writing goes, um, like they tried to give him some interesting quirks and characterization and it just didn't work. Uh, Like he has the affinity for space Rubik's cubes and it ends up being a way to kill Soji. So like it couldn't have just been a stupid hobby of his. It had to have been a uh a plot device and i just i felt like the actor was pretty poor too i i didn't yeah i didn't think he was on the same level as you know patrick stewart or michelle hurd or santiago cabrera which i didn't think he was holding his own that's interesting and at no point 
was he, I, I was convinced that he cared enough for Soji to keep her, you know, from his sister. At, at no point did I think that he was on her side at all. No matter how many times he told her he loved her, even at the end, I was like, absolutely not, dude. It's not going to happen. No, I never really believed that either. I think my big problem with with that character um, isn't the character itself. It's the idea of the Tal Shiar and um, the Zod Vash. You know, these are groups that are similar to Section 31 and similar to the Obsidian Order. Um, and I... I never really like those groups. Then the reason I don't like them is they're super spy organizations. And so they could just have whatever ability or information is convenient at any given time. And it doesn't feel like any work really needs to be done in that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Like, so you're telling me that <laughs> y- y- these, these organizations all know about each other, but they're still so secret. None of them have any idea what's actually going on. And unless they do, because the story needs them to. And so I, I rarely like a story that includes one of these groups anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I never have. Uh, DS9 probably does the best job. <laughs> um, uh, but it's pretty rare that I like any of those organizations. They're just, they're super groups of whatever they're a part of. They're just too convenient. Like you said, they have whatever knowledge they need to have that's convenient for the storyline and zero work goes into it. And of course, because they're super shady, they always end up using the information as weapons instead of anything else. So it's just an over played out storyline. Well, cause like yeah. for, for example, why, Okay, if this was really what it, what it was supposed to be, which was this possible like galaxy-ending situation, which we'll talk about later. But um, if that's really what it was, why wasn't the Tal Shiar enough? Why did we also need the Zat Vash on top of that? And for that matter, why couldn't just the Romulans have had this mission to take this down? Yeah. You add all these layers of secrecy for such a large event, like this wasn't some covert operation to like steal secrets about a new starship or some bullshit. Right. You know, this is Romulans working with Vulcans, working with Starfleet to, to stop the end of life in our galaxy. And the secret organization we already knew wasn't good enough for that. We needed another one. Yeah. That doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. It just, it overcomplicates it. And then her name to remember. It turns out that they were all just a bunch of like witches in the desert who had kind of a vision and you know most of them like just killed themselves right then and there. So so silly. Yeah, it it doesn't it just doesn't really work for me. Um you know, I, I don't know why it couldn't have just been the Tal Shiar to begin with. I don't know why you needed to add in another group. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't seem necessary. You know, it's Occam's razor. You already have this secret organization that we know very little about. Just make it be them. Having to squeeze in this new organization that's been around for hundreds, maybe thousands of years that we just have never heard of before, it just was unnecessary. Yeah. So yeah. did uh, anybody like Sutra? <laughs> She was fine. I think my problem, my problem with Sutra is, a, is not her character as much as the, the way she looks. 
So when they were developing these androids and obviously becoming more and more sophisticated with the synthetic life, um, at, you know, you end up with like Soji who just appears completely human, but in previous Star Trek, we've had androids that already look human. Okay. Data's daughter, lol, Data's mother already look human externally. So there's not really a good reason for Sutra to not just look human other than them wanting it to be clear that she's an older model. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, as soon as she walked on screen, I knew her character was not going to be trusted. Why is that? It was just the way she carried herself. Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Like her walk, her, um, intensity in her voice and then of course the convenience that she can do the vulcan mind meld so i do want to address that because i've seen a lot of people argue for and against this and one of the arguments i've seen is like when spock has done mind melds with like a computer or whatever uh look sutra has no telepathic abilities right and as far as we know yes and Gerardi has no telepathic abilities. So you have a mind meld occurring between two non-telepathic beings. That's what the problem is. It doesn't yeah. matter that she's synthetic. It doesn't matter that she's an android. It doesn't matter that Gerardi is a human. That's not what matters. What matters is that neither of them have telepathic abilities at all. Because what that implies then is that any being that is humanoid at all could just do a mind meld with another humanoid, right? So that means that Picard and Riker could do a mind meld with each other, you know? That's more believable to me because at least they've been friends for like (laughs) 30 years. So, you know, they, it's slightly more believable. That's all. It just, that, that didn't work for me. That doesn't make any sense. There's not a mechanic in there that makes it work. And every mind meld we've ever seen prior to this had at least one party be telepathic, right? One party was a Vulcan or something like that. And, you know, even if you wanted, you know, if Girardi had been a Beta Zed, at least that's a telepathic species, you know? And so I couldn't have this issue with it, but you can't have, I don't know how you can have two non-telepaths do a mind meld together without somebody helping. Yeah. Was not a fan of that. And honestly, like it was, I appreciate that we're starting our critical conversation with Narek and moving into this now, because if I have any complaint with the season at all, it could be summed up simply by just saying that there was too much shit that was just too convenient. Like there was for such a thoughtful and, and otherwise very well done. There were just one too many moments of just super convenience, deus ex machina bullshit. And that kind of pulled me away from these emotional character moments, uh, from the other things that I really enjoyed. It's that, you know, I'm too distracted now by the non-telepathic mind meld and, and I, I'm not fully present and appreciating all the other good stuff in the rest of the episode. And, so, and all the critiques that we're going to talk about moving forward are, are going to, for me at least, circle back to it was way too convenient. Why? Well, there's a few of those. So I was curious, like, what's a couple that come to mind to you that you'd like to focus on? Um, I mean, and it's so small, but uh, I can't remember what the fuck it's called, but the imagination tool they used to fix his ship. Oh, like, yeah, that was what a issue. What the fuck? Oh, man. I, um, 
I, I, so annoyed. I've had that, a hard time articulating how I feel about that. I feel yeah. like that was something that should appear on a kid's show. Like that's that's a device yeah. used in Blue's Clues or Reading Rainbow. It's yeah. just imagine how this will fix things. Like, God. oh boy, oh yeah. boy. And I, I think the I think the way it's explained is the real problem here because you know something can appear magic just because it's well beyond our ability to understand it. And I'm fine with that, right? We've seen incredible technologies in science fiction and science fantasy over our lifetimes, but because it's explained as just imagine it and not like, well, this technology can automatically diagnose the problem and synthesize a repair solution. Right. Yeah. Like, come on. That's some te- Trek, no babble bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like just say that and it, immediately. It's just a higher power technology. Yeah. Right. That's beyond us. But instead, Absolutely. yeah, it's like a tool that like Barney would give out to somebody, right. you know, to use yeah. your imagination with SpongeBob or whatever. And yeah. they could have even thrown in a line that like, oh, this was developed by top beta Z scientists to um, not weaponize, but utilize their uh, telepathic abilities. No, I mean, right? That, that makes be way more sense. That would yeah, be better than just sense. using the word imagination, you know? Um, yeah. Especially because when it comes into play, it's all very, very serious, right? Like the yeah. galaxy is about to end. People are all about to die. And now we have to like learn how to use this imagination ocarina or whatever it's supposed <laughs> to be. The real magic was within you all the whole time. <laughs> yeah, the power to go back to Kansas this entire episode. <laughs> no, I'm with you. That that thing did not work for me at all. I had a lot of problems with that. I think I blocked that out like PTSD, like you know, <laughs> just because I completely forgot about that stupid glowing blue piece of shit. Well, because like here's the thing. So first they use it to repair the ship. All right, yes. okay. You just wanted to write a cute little way for them to repair ship that didn't even really need to be broken but okay and and then like, but, first it gets broken by a fucking flower and then it's put back together by this imagination tool the, like, the, the imagination ocarina that's uh, yeah. uh but uh, <laughs> but but here's the problem though they have to do that scene because it's absolutely like paramount to like the climax of the of the of this season which uh-huh. is the super picard maneuver and yeah. Look, Star Trek has used the fake holographic stuff many, many times. I have zero problems with that. It's used a lot. It's an in-universe concept. But when you have to create a brand new imagination tool to make it happen, (laughs) then it becomes silly at that point. It's almost like admitting that it was a silly concept from the beginning. And now you're just not even going to take it seriously anymore. Yep. You know? And the matter's almost made worse when the fleet actually does show up and it's like seemingly 200 copies of the exact same starship. Um, now there have been reports that there's supposed to be four or five different classes of starship in that armada, but come yeah. on, I, I really only saw one or two in there. And it, the reason that doesn't work for me is that star, the Starfleet's fleets have never worked that way. Every fleet we've ever seen has been copy and pastes of five or six different you know, kit mashups. You have, you know, you have 
the Defiant class, an Excelsior class, you know, a Reliant in there somewhere, the Galaxy class, an Ambassador class, or a Nebula, Nebula class. And you'd have like all these different ships. And look, they did it in the Dominion Wars. They did it in the first contact battle at Sector 001 and Wolf 359, where you just saw multiple kinds of kit bash ships. That's just a Star Trek thing. And so to, to not really show that here, and you bring in just a bunch of seemingly one version of ship, and there's 200 of them, which is just a huge number of, of starships anyway, and not to have any variety, um, that, that, that only looked worse because you just did, you know, 200 copies of the La Serana. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, because like that, like one of the main complaints about Discovery is the ship Discovery, right? That's been one of the paramount complaints about the show is what that ship looks like, how it's designed. And yeah, I know the history of the ship. We're not getting into that. But this was an opportunity to really bring back design that we're all comfortable and familiar with because of Star Trek Online, because of the comic books, because (laughs) of just where Starfleet design was at the end of Nemesis. Um, There's a lot you could have done with that. And instead, it just didn't really come off great. Nope. I guess is really the best way to, it just came off kind of silly, you know? And yeah. like, yeah, the Romulans had mainly the, the exact same ship too. And that's been a complaint that I've had for other organi- you know, other groups in Star Trek. Most of their ships all look the same, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the Cardassians have like one ship, right? And uh, there's different sizes of them and that's how important they are. And Romulans all you know have like one ship. It's only the Klingons that really get a few different models. Um, and this was just that again, the Romulans, there's one cool warbird and here's 216 of them or whatever it was. Um, I, I just would have liked to have seen that end here and just create some more variety because at the end of the day, if you were mounting, especially for Starfleet, an emergency fleet of 200 ships to get to a, a space as fast as humanly possible, you'd end up with a bunch of mismatched ships that are coming from various areas that were on different missions. Some of these would be science vessels. Yeah. You know, some of them would just be cruisers or what have you. They wouldn't all be this incredible battleship, you know, that, that Starfleet has managed to build 200 of. Um, right. Not to mention the fact that we start the season off and John Luke Picard's asking for one fucking ship, just one, and he can't get it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we get 200. No. And that's, Completely that's part of agree. That's part of the issue. Now he is granted a, a small fleet earlier, like three or four episodes ago. Um, yeah but they take a detour and they don't end up getting it. But a, a normal fleet of ships is, is going to be small. I mean, we've seen fleets as small as five or six ships in Star Trek before, uh, yeah. all the way up to maybe 20 or 30 ships. So 200, again, is just this massive number of ships that Riker is somehow able to put together in less than 48 hours. Yep. I mean, but, but Riker was maybe a little bit uh, less disgraced when he left than Picard was. Even if Riker is the most decorated captain in history of Starfleet, getting yeah. together 200 of the most sophisticated ships in the Federation in under 48 hours still seems unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... It's, 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 his, it's his sexual prowess. He, had, uh, <laughs> he, he seduced all those ships out of the Federation in record time. I think the, the problem here is that they started with, well, we'll just have like 200-something ships. Yeah. For the Romulans. I think that was the, the first key problem because that yes. immediately makes it like the largest engagement we've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah. Right. And we're talking about like, we just had the Dominion War 
we had the Klingon civil war, you know, we've had like, these massive conflicts and none of them seem to be at the scale that this was for the right. Romulans just to have 216 ships ready to go. Yeah. Um, that for me, especially when like Romulus has been destroyed and the Romulan empire is supposed to kind of be in shambles, they were still able to create 216 sophisticated warbirds just yeah. for this, yeah, to, that were available for right. this mission. It's just, I think you should they could have kept the scale down, make it 20, 30 warbirds. Because let's, let's face it, two dozen of those warbirds still would have completely obliterated that planet if they didn't get help. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Let's, what's one lost around going to do against two dozen Romulan warbirds? Still nothing. And I think, I think ultimately this boils down to an issue with the writing. Like, they were trying so hard to make this big epic finale, and they kind of wrote themselves into a hole. Like you said, like, oh, we've got all these Romulan ships, so now we have to match that on the Starfleet side, and there's some technical problems with, you know, explaining that. So it just, it snowballed. It did, it did, but I, I just don't think that it needed to be as large as it was, you know? I, no, I think It's almost like the latter half of the show was overcompensating for how slow the first half was. And you may be right. I mean, to Ray's point earlier, you know, she was kind of done with it four episodes in and it was a little on the slow side. I would like to rewatch it, kind of binge it and kind of see how that feels as a 10 hour movie. Like Patrick Stewart said it was intended to be. Same, um, yeah. But I think you're right. Like the show just like, it's like exponential just ramps the hell up as yeah. you get to the finale. And it, I, don't, I just don't think it needed to be that big. I think having one or two dozen warbirds against a planet with no real defenses and one tiny kind of starship is still something they need help with. And you still need to have then the Federation to show up with a dozen ships. And it's just much more realistic. It feels much more practical because how many times have we been told, well, the enterprise is the only ship in the, in the sector, right? Nobody else can be around for three weeks to help. Right. Like that's such a Star Trek thing. That's a trope at this point that to swing the pendulum so far the other way, yeah. really kind of just takes you out of it. Agreed. Okay. What else do we have? What are some other things? Can we talk about the golem? Yeah. We haven't yeah. talked about that yet. So let's talk about the golem. So again, this is a situation where they kind of wrote themselves into a corner on, on their own. So, right. All good things shows that Picard, uh, Picard has this aromatic syndrome, and it's kind of the basis for why a lot of people don't believe him, and it takes him a while to get everybody on his side in the finale to TNG. But when the finale is over, we're all told this is an alternate future. Things have already changed to set in a different future, and we never know, you know, if that future will come to pass. Right? That's already yeah. been set. So they don't have to address that illness at all he could just never have an onset of it because that was a possibility that we were already told it could have just been nothing but not only did they address it it was the cornerstone of his character motivation he is dying he is straight up dying and you know that's sad and it's it's a motivation for the character and then you get to a point where you realize well how hang on they have two two choices here then they either have to kill off the character which would be incredibly bold and emotional and risky, um, or they have to somehow cure him in the, you know, at the last minute. And the fact the sh- that they did both, why did they do both? <laughs> well, 
so this is again where like problems come into play with modern media. They'd already announced a second season. Yeah. You had already had Patrick Stewart live on the view invite Whoopi Goldberg to join him in the second season. And so when he's dying, while that should have been incredibly emotional for me, it wasn't because I knew he wasn't going to be dead. My favorite part of that is you got to see characters hang out with each other that hadn't really gotten a lot of one-on-one screen time. Seven and uh, uh, Santiago, I'm forgetting his name, Christos. Oh, Rios? Rios, yeah. Um, the, the two of them together was really interesting. And then, of course, Rafi comforting Elnor. Because this is the first time we've seen Elnor show emotion. And the way he just lets it out, it reminds me of, like, a small child almost that she's comforting. Yeah. And he's, like, her surrogate son at the time. So those right. two scenes were really emotional and really important and were very well done by those four actors. And then almost immediately, he's back to life, guys. Well, and the thing is, I think they could have kept those interactions and still been like, well, we're going to try all this babble stuff to move him into the golem. And they could still think like, it probably won't work. We have no idea if it'll work, right? And they're like in the waiting room, essentially, you know, seeing if he's going to make it. I think they still could have had those emotional moments. Yes. The problem here is that- The way you're describing is 10 times better. And I actually think that like, it would have been a nice cliffhanger to get to the first second season before we know if something works out it's the same problem that infinity war had for me you know is that like endgame is amazing but infinity war was not something i could really enjoy because i was just waiting to get to the result because i knew i knew well these characters have other movies like they've already announced dates for them and stuff and this was the same problem i never believed for a minute that picard was going to stay dead um you know, versus the scene, the simulation scene with him and Data is incredibly emotional because it's about their relationship with each other. It's about Data wanting to die. It's about how they would have sacrificed for each other. That's very emotional. That really got to me. Um, but there was never a moment where I thought, well, Picard's dead. That never happened. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and so they bring him back and, you know, it's a new body, but of course they aged it up. So it looks like him for convenience and that's fine. That doesn't really bother me, but you know, they got rid of the, the brain defect and it just seems like a really long walk for something that didn't need to exist because Picard as a character should, could have been, and should have been in the same position that we saw him without the aromatic syndrome at all. Just mm-hmm. think about it. He still would have resigned for Starfleet. He still would have, be, you know, could have been the recluse on his vineyard kind of hiding from the world because he felt like a failure. And he still would have wanted to help somebody who came to him in need. The fact that he was dying should never have been a motivation of that. There was no need for him to push through it or use it as his last hurrah because that's not who he's ever been. No. He's always been the one who will do his best to help those in need, whether that was, you know, the, the Baku in insurrection, you know, for example, like that's just yeah. who he is. And adding in this, this threat of death, again, it was over-engineering things. It didn't yeah. need to be there. Mm-hmm. It was additional motivation when we got, we already had plenty. And the moment you see that golem, 
the moment you see that golem, there's two possibilities for it. There's only two. One, it's going to be used by Picard to heal his brain or they're bringing data back. Right. Yeah. Those are the only two possibilities. And, um, well, I gotta say, I I honestly thought they were gonna use that chance to bring back Bruce Maddox so that it completely clears Girardi's conscience and conscience, and she doesn't have to turn herself in. Because, hey, look, guys, he never died. Here he is. I didn't murder anybody. It's fine. Like so, I thought that's that was an option too at one point. As soon as I saw this uh, season finale, I was like, "No, that's not, we're done here." But <laughs> so that's but a episode good nine. I thought that maybe it's a good thought. So because that creates this other issue of Girardi. Now uh, Michael Shaban has basically said that she's going to have to deal with turning herself in and things of that nature. But we don't know if that's already happened because basically there's a week in between like when things end and when they fly off together into the sunset. Because about- in the end, the, the Picard golem has to get used to things again. He cannot, like, they don't say that immediately he rises out of that pod and everything's fine. Like, right. there is so, some getting so, used to. So Girardi's got to at some point, like, turn herself in is what Siobhan said. And that's fine. But... I mean, here my, my problem is, is just that I don't know how you get past what she did. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, like, Picard even says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it, there's a difference between killing an enemy who is about to kill you and threatening your life and um, straight up murdering somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a difference. And, and that's what she did. And that's what she did. And, you know, there's some people arguing that, well, she didn't murder him. She just stopped the computer from saving him. And that's a very, like, Batman Begins bullshit of, yeah. like, I don't have that's to, like... That's still murder. Right? I, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Like, <laughs> a, a lie by omission is still a lie. Right? Um, and so, like, she's still responsible for his death. Yeah. And while, yes, she saves Picard's life, legally speaking i'm not sure that that clears her now if you want to talk about the ethics and the morals of what happened and say that she was under the influence by an alien vision that was forced onto her by a romulan agent you know she thought she was saving millions of people and ethically you want to say that she did the right thing in that situation that's that's up for debate but from a legal perspective i don't see how there's any gray area (laughs) No, I don't think there's that much of an ethical one either because this was the man that you were completely in love with and you were 100% behind his vision. You aided him in this. If anything, she should have killed herself too because she had just as much hand in creating the sense as Bruce Maddox did. So I think that whole ethical argument is immediately thrown out. She is equally as guilty. I, I agree that she's equally as guilty. I think the the mission that she was given by O was to basically see this to fruition. So if she had killed herself, she couldn't be alive to make sure it didn't happen would be my argument for that. But I think that the ethical conversation is that based on the, the mind meld that she was forced to, to endure and the mission that she was given by who she believed was the head of Starfleet security, that like that like what Rios's captain was doing thought that she was doing the right thing. That was a terrible thing to save millions of lives. Obviously she was wrong and it wasn't the right thing to do. Right. Uh, but from a legal standpoint, she, she like, she has to go to jail. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, what? We need a new doctor on this ship? Are we going to lose Allison Pill? Is there going to be a conveniently, convenient way she uh, gets off? Well, because at the end, she's she's kissing Rios when they're le- when the ship's flying away. Yeah. And so and she seems happy. Watch, he needs to watch his back, though. I mean, if she, if she could be convinced to kill one ex-lover, he's, he's next, man. I've dated well, some red flags before, but I've never fucked with that. I would think that she's she's learned from this experience, but uh, I mean, the thing is, Allison Pill's a great actor, and I thought she did yes. a phenomenal job with this character. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I don't not want to see her in season two. I just don't know how you make it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I I think tool. you know there. I don't think uh, there's an issue with her sitting out season two, and if they do season three, bringing her back in because. I I can't imagine they would do a time jump just so she gets out of jail like they did with uh, Burnham in Discovery. Yeah. I mean, Burnham's the main character. We can get by without Allison Pill. Now, do we want to? Meh. But we can. She's not Picard. Right. But they kind of wrote themselves again into this weird corner where they have this character that is a very strong character with a great actor. You know, she's got a relationship brewing with one, with one of the other main cast. You know, so what do you do with her? I mean, Face I don't know. Prison. I mean, well, and what do you do? Like, it's just, it's a very complicated thing. And you've got Soong involved. Alton Soong was, you know, helping the synths. And so I guess he's going to stay on the planet with the synths. And that's, that's over and done with. Um, but Soji is going on with them. And so I guess they're under the protection of Starfleet. It's a very complicated thing that I'm hoping we get answers to in season two. Uh, but that's, I guess that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, so what are some other aspects to the finale that you guys would like to discuss or bring up? Is there anything else that caught your attention? I actually don't think so. To be honest, we've touched on the main things I wanted to talk about. We yeah, did same we did see uh, Rafi and uh, Annika uh, kind of being intimate with each other while playing some Cal Toe. Yeah, they were flirting end. and they held hands. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. I want to see. I want to when I do my rewatch, I want to know. I want to pay a closer attention to that dynamic and see if there were any hints that that would happen. Um, yeah, no, I definitely want to do a rewatch of that. And I, the, the fact that it's Kalto is kind of an interesting little nugget as well, because so Kalto is a, a Vulcan uh, strategy game. Essentially, it's a puzzle game. And uh, it's shown on, on Voyager that Seven is quite good at it. Uh, she actually beats Tuvok. Um, mm. And uh, it's not a game we see very often. Uh, in Star Trek just a few times. And so seeing Rafi, who's human, you know, playing it uh, against Seven is very interesting. I wonder if that means that Rafi is, you know, really good at it as well or... or Maybe they're just not as competitive as you and I are because we do not hold hands during board games. Like... They they should have been playing Cotascott instead. (laughs) So... um, Anyway, but I thought that was just a cute moment. Um, it was a nice, like, the way the ship is designed, the La Serena, they can kind of do this really cool long scene uh, yeah. where they can kind of pull back and show everybody doing different stuff. And I thought that was really nice. It was a cool shot. I the cinematography abs- on the show was phenomenal. Yeah. For sure. I absolutely love when romances come out of places of struggle because I believe that's 
just like it's very human nature to find comfort when the world's like crashing around you and you're emotionally broken. So uh, was that relatable for some reason? A little bit. Um, (laughs) It could, you know, be everything and be a complete beautiful relationship we see develop, or it could be a small flirtation just found for, you know, comfort. Like I said, so it doesn't have to be anything huge, but it could be, and it doesn't have to be anything small, but it could be. So I really like those things. I I wasn't mad about that at all. Oh, that is nice. Um, There's some cool stuff at the, at the end when they're, when they're all on the bridge and they're about to take off the music, of course, is the classic TNG era music, Mm -hmm. uh, which is also the classic Star Trek theme song from the motion picture. And it really shows, if you look at the season as a whole, when you look at the original title theme to how that music has been portrayed through the end here, it is that intro of Picard putting back together the pieces of himself, right? It's basically what this season is about is him rebuilding himself. And there's some very interesting parallels there. I mean, it's how we're left in nemesis at the very end of nemesis, the enterprise is being rebuilt and he's trying to learn how to take command with, without, Riker anymore and without data and uh, here we see him really rebuilding himself at the end of the show I thought that was really nice Um, yeah just really kind of well done Um, we don't really have a lot of time to dive into this maybe we'll do like a full wrap-up episode but what would you guys have any final thoughts or anything on the season as a whole now that it's done I mean, I've kind of given mine that like I was ready to give up and I'm glad I didn't because each episode I think is better than the one before it. Um, I am really looking forward to where they're going with season two. The way it ended gives me like hope for a good beginning as well as the stuff I know is already happening like them uh, bringing seven on for more episodes and uh, Guinan coming back. Like it, I just, it's, it started out as my least favorite Star Trek series and has become one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've discussed all of uh, my minor complaints. And, I mean, they're big deals. But in the grand scheme of things, I would consider them to be very minor because, uh, as a whole, uh, I agree with Ray. Every episode was pretty much better than the one before it. Uh, it was beautifully done. It was emotional. It was a nice... Um, reunion for for some of my favorite characters in science fiction uh and it uh it really i've heard arguments to the contrary because it was darker and and there's some edgier aspects of it um but i, I still feel at, at its core it, it was star trek it was some of the best mm-hmm. of star trek because it does what star trek does it um addresses complex social issues and and it combats you know racism and prejudice and ignorance um and at the end like it leaves you feeling a little hopeful um and and that show absolutely you know not perfect but uh as a whole it left me feeling more hopeful more optimistic and let's be honest we can all fucking use some of that right now so i think it's incredibly naive to uh believe that you're gonna go into a new show 20 30 years later and it still look exactly like the ones before it the entire landscape of television has changed therefore this is going to match the times and like you said it still hits on 
important issues, which Trek has been touching on since the 60s. So yeah, politics on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Every like, other idiot on the internet. Really? Do you remember like the fifth <laughs> episode is the half black, half white people? Like yeah. <laughs> been politics since the beginning. Like the first interracial kiss happened on Trek. Like this is this is from the beginning, guys. Chill your nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my new calm your tits. It's chill yeah. your nuts. Chill your nuts. Yeah. yeah. Well, Get those uh, testes on ice. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm with you guys. I mean, this, there was obviously the darker tone. It was very somber. It was intense. There were, there were some things that I didn't care for uh, that I've mentioned on previous episodes here. And there were yeah. some things that I truly loved. Um, some, of, some, of my, some of my favorite moments from this are pretty powerful. Um, I'm glad that they want to do more. I'm hoping that they have the opportunity to do that, given the current climate and, and production issues of being able to just be in the same room to film stuff. Uh, yeah. I hope that they're able to, to get a season two done. I know that they're, they're working on stuff. Um, when does discovery season three start? Cause I know that was completely finished and produced before COVID hit. So there's no date right now, mainly because there's no music. So Russo is working on the music, but he has to work on it from home and he can't record with an orchestra yet until That's fair. they're allowed to meet uh, to record with an orchestra. And uh, so it could so, be delayed a while. It, it might be. It's still slated for 2020. Um, it yeah. is still slated for 2020. So we'll just have cool. to kind of wait and see. Um, you know, I, I don't know how long it takes to record and produce with an orchestra, to be frank, um, especially since they have to do about, you know, 13, 15 hours of content. Um, well, I mean, those professional orchestras are so used to performing that they're usually done recording a full series in like two, three weeks. But with COVID and not being able to be in person, that's very difficult. You can't ask, you know, 50 musicians to record separately and you do, you add it all together. That's just not possible. Yeah, the temp, the, the getting tempos together and volumes together and yeah, so so many cues would be missed. It'd be very difficult. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll we'll learn more about that soon. Um, but you know, right now we've got Picard and we've got two seasons of Discovery that we can all rewatch if we want, as well as a very large back catalog of Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, as well. So yeah, so we'll we'll continue to have topics to talk about here on Red Shirts and Runabouts, and Ooh. like like I said, we're moving to every other week biweekly. So we'll be back in two weeks to talk more Star Trek. Uh, at least I will. I don't know who my co-hosts will be <laughs> at this time. We'll we'll figure it out, but I will. I'll be there, um, guys. If people want to uh, reach out and talk to you, how might they do that? Well, I'd recommend the internet since we're social distancing. You can find me at Siren Ray on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am at Avengers ES on Twitter. And I, of course, am the Star Trek dude. This is Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, heroespodcasts.com, or you can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash red shirts and runabouts we're doing lots of fun stuff out there like i said we, we're doing kind of a watch party for first contact day uh we do lots of polls and we post news and other things so please come talk to us and join our group out there on facebook of course you can download the show and stream the show from spotify apple podcasts spreaker podcast addict and our website 
Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to get the show with no ads, you can join our Patreon, patreon.com slash heroes podcasts and become a patron today and get the show early without ads. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Live long and prosper. <laughs>